Let me read for us the scripture. It comes from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read all the way from verse 1 to verse 9. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 9. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Okay, let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your words. These are the words that we need to hear today. We don't need anything else. We don't need someone to tell us some good advice. We don't need somebody to point us in the right direction. We need your words to heal us, to comfort us, maybe to confront us. Father, I pray that you would give us the very thing we need today, which is to hear from you, that your voice would be the loudest today, that we would hear from you and be shaped by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, I'm going to read you guys something, so see if you can uh, follow along here and catch on to what, what this is about. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. You may say that I'm a dreamer but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us. Anyone? And the world will be as one. Anyone follow that? John Lennon, exactly right. You guys know that, some of you guys know, that this is John Lennon's song, Imagine. It's his signature song, a song that uh, really paints a picture of, hey, buddy. Uh, A song that paints a picture of peace, a world at peace, a world that is one, a world that is uh, really, in John Lennon's perspective, a perfect world, right? Um, This song has really been about uh, really everything that we've longed for, right? Um, Rolling Stones has labeled this song as the top three uh, greatest songs ever, top three of the 500 greatest songs of all time, and I think it's safe to say that It resonates so much with us. It's considered the top song ever by uh, a magazine like Rolling Stone because it it resonates deep to our core, right? Here's another verse in um, this song where it reads like this, and I think it's timely. John Lennon writes, imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. Now, after this week, those sort of words start to uh, feel very appropriate. Uh, It it feels like a world without borders and countries, 
might be a good idea at this present moment, right? Because at our core, we desperately long for peace. There's a reason why uh, a war uh, halfway across the country, it it threatens us. It, it, It kind of, it devastates us because it really threatens our core longing for peace. Now, according to John Lennon, he has a simple formula for how we get to peace, actually. Uh, He thinks it's threefold. He says, well, peace, you can have peace, and it can be ours if we just do away with three things. If we do away with priests, provinces, and possessions. Priests, provinces, and possessions, right? If we could just get rid of organized religion, that would help a ton. If we can get rid of distinctives, religious distinctives, and all of that, then we can achieve peace. And maybe that's a sentiment you, you sort of share with him. But the truth is it doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work. Example A, exhibit A, is if you ever go on Reddit, which is a dark world, but if you ever do, you just go to Atheist Reddit, and you will quickly realize that it doesn't work, right? These are folks that uh, pr- propose that they don't have an organized religion that they subscribe to, and the world shouldn't have an organized religion to subscribe to, and they don't believe in religious distinctives. They don't even believe that there is a God, but yet... If you would just simply scroll through Atheist Reddit, peaceful is probably not a word you would use to describe that community, right? They don't strike you as having peace. Well, if that's not it, then let's just get rid of borders. If we just got rid of all borders, if we got rid of all those geopolitical lines that define countries, then maybe we would have peace, right, according to John Lennon. Well, not really. Because if that were the case, then it's hard to explain why a once unified Korea, a people that were once unified decided, no, 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 we need a defined border, maybe the world's most defined border, to uh, separate us, split us into two. Well, borders don't do it. Getting rid of borders don't do it. Then what about possessions? Maybe we can all just share possessions. No one has the right to anything. We all have the right to everything. Maybe if we just share our possessions, then we would have peace, wouldn't we? Well, I think we know that the communist thing has been tried and has been found a little wanting. Right? There's, it doesn't quite work and produce the results that we think it will. It all sounds plausible on paper, but in practice, it doesn't produce the peace that we want. Now, why is that? Why is John, uh, John, I was about to say John Legends, John Lennon's uh, recipe for peace not going to work? It's because we desire peace all around us. We desire peace. That's our longing for us. We, we want to create peace. We want peace to happen all around the world. But the problem is that there is only war within us. We want peace all around us, but all that's within us is war. Circumstances aren't the problem. People are. In fact, what you might not know about the song Imagine is what was happening around John Legend during the time he was penning those words, or actually, maybe more appropriately, during the time his wife was penning those words, if you know the story to that song, right? You see, John, John Lennon uh, was painting this beautiful picture of peace in the world and what the world could look like if he would just do these things, but What he was experiencing outside of his songwriting sessions was anything but peace. The Beatles, if you guys heard of them, they were maybe before some of us in our age, but they were a band. Uh, They were the first boy band. They uh, broke up. They were just 
uh, breaking up as a band. And during that time when he was penning these words, there was a very, very contentious lawsuit. Paul McCartney, which is a former band member, a close friend of John Lennon, was pursuing legal uh, separation from John Lennon and the band. He was pursuing uh, uh, separation. Right? They were close friends, but now he didn't want to be close friends anymore, which really just underscores the problem. Uh, we all want peace. It's, it's a thing that we long for, but all we have and all we're able to produce is war. So if the Beatles are any indication, then fame and money don't get us peace. Accolades don't get us peace. So what can produce the peace that we long for? So it all seems a bit absurd. When we get to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, knowing that all we have is war, even though we long for peace, it seems a bit absurd when we get to Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and we hear Jesus pronounce the words, or the seventh beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. That doesn't even resonate with us. It doesn't seem like something that we can achieve because we don't know a world with peace. I mean, doesn't Jesus realize that this is an impossibility? Doesn't Jesus realize that peace isn't something that we are, is, are able to obtain or produce for ourselves? Notice Jesus, what he says. He doesn't say, Blessed are those who recognize peace when they see it. Jesus doesn't say, well, blessed are the ones who uh, experience a peaceful moment here and there. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, those who can produce peace, create peace, make peace. But if our lives and history is any indication, then we're not very good at peacemaking. Peacemaking is not something that we have a good track record of. In fact, you don't have to look further than your phone's contact list. If you ever scroll through your phone's contact list, do it one day, maybe, maybe later today or right now. Scroll through there. You may recognize names of people that you were once close with, but now you're in conflict with. You may recognize phone numbers of people that you were very, very uh, 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 close with, but now you, all you can remember when you think about their names are how they've wronged you or maybe you, how you've wronged them. There's conflict now. Maybe you're no longer on speaking terms with that family member. Maybe you're, you're, you're no longer on speaking terms with your parents or your children or whatever it may be. Maybe it's a coworker or a spouse even at the present moment. Maybe there's conflict there. We're all too familiar with that reality of not being at peace relationally. And it's into this reality that Jesus says, hey, blessing on those who are able to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, was Jesus just unaware of our inability to make peace? Was Jesus just totally oblivious and speaking into the void when he said, blessed are the peacemakers? Did he not realize that we are not good at making peace? No, I think he was aware. I think Jesus was aware of the conflicts that we ex experience, the conflicts that we have relationally, the conflicts in the world. He's all too aware, which is why when Jesus says in the seventh beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, 
he meant to be radical. He meant to really uh, kind of press our buttons and, and have, help us to see this stark contrast of what it looks like to be in his kingdom versus the reality that we're experiencing in this world. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm inviting you into a kingdom where you are peacemakers, where you're blessed to be peacemakers and you're able to be peacemakers. So we're going to take some time to unpack what he means by this. What does he mean by that announcement, blessed are the peacemakers? So we're going to answer the two questions. What is the peace that he's talking about? And how, how can we secure that peace? What power do we need to secure that peace? So what is the peace that he's talking about? Well, when we think of peace, especially just you know, after this week, we think of the absence of war. Right? When we think of peace, we think, well, it's the absence of violent conflict. We think it's the absence of war. We think uh, a world at peace is where uh, families don't have to be displaced uh, for threat of violence or whatever it may, it may be. We think of um, peace as maybe our children listening. We think of peace maybe as our children being quiet in the car. At least I do because that's a very peaceful thing. Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy when they don't speak in the car and it's quiet. Um, that's a peaceful moment for me. Maybe peace for you is that inner tranquility you feel about a particular decision or path in life and you're like, I feel at peace. Maybe everything's in balance in your life and you're like, okay, I feel peaceful. And all of, the, all of those definitions would be right. Like you would be right to say, uh, peace is the absence of war. Peace is silence in the car. Peace is a sleeping baby. Peace is um, that inner tranquility and equilibrium you feel. But the Bible describes peace as something more than that. The Bible's definition of peace is something more than that. It comes from the Hebrew word, you guys are probably familiar, the word shalom. Right? Shalom is much more than the absence of war, the absence of violence, this internal equilibrium. Shalom means the flourishing of all things. Shalom is the flourishing of everything in you, between you, and outside of you, the flourishing of all things. Shalom uh, points to the prosperity or thriving or uh, really good health readings at the doctor. It, it means personal, relational, economical, social, cultural, just thriving and flourishing. Shalom, in a word, is being whole, being complete. Nothing left undone. Shalom means everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Everything perfectly in its place. Everyone perfectly aligned. All things in good order. Sounds amazing, right? Sounds amazing if that were true. I mean, there's a reason why this word shalom happens 97 times in the New Testament, 237 times in the Old Testament, because all throughout redemption, all throughout the story of redemption, it's that steady heartbeat. It just keeps beating through creation, through the fall, through redemption to restoration. Shalom is that steady heartbeat because it describes what we so long for. God created us for shalom. It was taken away. And ever since then, we long for shalom. We want everything to be the way it was supposed to be. But Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who 
want peace. I mean, we all want peace. Jesus says, blessed are those who can make peace. And if we take Jesus at his words, which we should, he's saying, those who are in the kingdom of God are blessed because they are peacemakers. They're able to restore order. They're able to reconcile conflict. And uh, if that's the case, how many of us would say today, right now, we're peacemakers? None of us would be able to say, yeah, I can, I'm able to restore order. I'm able to reconcile conflict. I do that all the time. That's, that's just kind of my MO. I always go in and make everything better. No, we aren't able to say that, I don't think. None of us are peacemakers, naturally. In fact, um, when we are presented with conflict, I'm guessing you're either fight or flight. When you're presented with a conflict, you're either peace breakers, as one author said, or you are peace fakers, not peacemakers. I don't know if you guys are, who's, uh, maybe you guys aren't willing to admit, but if you're a fighter, <laughs> if you uh, enjoy the conflict and you lean into it and you want to uh, make your point and uh, somebody punches you and you want to punch them back or somebody wrongs you, you want to return the favor, if you're like that, your version of making peace is to force your will. Your version of making peace is to use your influence, use your words, maybe to subjugate someone to your uh, will and bend them to your will. You want to establish what feels like peace to you. You're a peace breaker. But maybe that's not your cup of tea and you tend to flight. You're a peace faker. In the face of conflict, you take flight. You, you sort of uh, avoid it. You might physically flee. You might just go to the other room. You might emotionally withdraw. You might distance yourself. You might withhold warmth. You might avoid. You might even pretend. That's, a, that's something I do really well. You might pretend that nothing's really wrong. And you hope that everything will just work itself out and hope that time will heal all wounds. Truth is, none of us are really good at making peace. All of us are either peace fakers or peace breakers. We're good at breaking peace or faking peace. And the question is, why is that? Why are we that? Why are we peace breakers or peace fakers? The Bible asks the same question. In James chapter 4, verse 1, uh, the Bible basically says, or James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? In other words, why can't we all just get along? Right, James is asking the question that we're wondering. Why can't we all get along? Why can't we be peacemakers? We're all wanting to know the answer to that question. Well, here's what James says. He answers his own question. He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and in other words, the reason why we don't have peace in our lives is because all we possess in our hearts is war. We don't have what it takes to make peace. The reason why we don't have peace is not because of all the dumb people out there that make it difficult for us, smart, intelligent, and well-adjusted people like us. It's not their fault. 
the reason why peace is so elusive is right here. We are our own worst enemy. We don't have what it takes to create peace on our own. Peace isn't elusive, elusive because of something outside of us. Peace is elusive because of what's in our hearts. There is war within our hearts, James says. We're the problem. Our hearts are the problem. We're the only ones to blame. Which begs the question, if we don't have internally inside of us, if we don't have what it takes to make peace, then how in the world is Jesus' seventh beatitude supposed to be good news? How is that supposed to be good news? Because this is pronouncement of good news. The Beatitudes are pronouncement of blessings, the blessed life that Jesus invites us into that says, this is the reality of your life in my kingdom. This is supposed to be good news, but when we read the seventh Beatitude, we don't read it as good news because we're like, we can't do this. It's not possible for me to produce peace. Sounds like a really impossible bar to achieve. And if you're feeling that way, then it's likely that you're forgetting who it is that's actually making the pronouncement. Because I'd argue the person who says the words is just as important as the words that are being said. Just imagine me announcing to you in this room, blessed are you who speak Spanish. Coming from me, it means nothing, right? You're like, dude, you don't even know how to speak Spanish, so why? That doesn't sound good. Like, I can't speak Spanish, and you, the person pronouncing that blessing, can't teach me how to speak Spanish. So that doesn't sound like good news to me. That actually sounds like bad news. But let's flip this around. Let's pretend Magdiel is standing up here and says, blessed are you who speak Spanish. You'd be like, okay, we're getting somewhere, right? We're getting somewhere. Uh, I might not be able to speak Spanish, but at least there's somebody who's pronouncing this good news and offering me this blessing who can teach me to get there, who can make me get there, right? It's also about the person who's making the pronouncement. If that person is able to get you there, there's more hope for you. And that's what's happening here. It's true that we're either peace fakers or peace breakers naturally. That's, we don't have peace naturally in our hearts. We actually have war within us all the time, uh, and we're not peacemakers, but the one who calls us to this blessed life is who? Is Jesus, and he is actually who? The prince of peace. He's the one that the scripture says, says uh, he's the one that established shalom for the world. He wa- he's the one that brought enduring peace to the world, everlasting peace, and this is the point. The power that secures peace for us is Jesus. He's the one that calls you to it, and he's the one that will enable you to do it. All we possess is war within our hearts, yet Jesus is the one who then offers us shalom. On our own, we can't make peace, it's true, because we don't have peace. But with Christ, we can be at peace, because he made peace. Ephesians 2, chapter 13, tells us how he made peace. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Peace is not something you get by abolishing religion. Peace is not something you get by removing all the borders. Peace is not something you get by sharing all your possessions. Peace is only secured in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He himself is our peace. And what he does to us, he intends to do through us. So as we uh, conclude our time in this beatitude, we're going to ask this question. If we have peace now through Christ, if he himself is our peace, the one that we have, then what does peacemaking look like? What is this blessed life that he's calling, calling us to? How can we be peacemakers? Well, Jesus sows his seed in Matthew chapter nine. He's, uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter five, verse nine, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And then he uh, reaps that seed and harvests that seed later in his gospel. In fact, in just several uh, verses later in Matthew chapter five, verse 23. In verse 23, he says this. He says to us, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, <clears throat> leave your gift. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer, your, come offer your gift. So what Jesus is saying, hey, it's more important for you to pursue reconciliation. It's more important for you to pursue peace in your uh, conflicted relationships than you, for you to perform some religious ritual. Yes, those are important. It's important for you to offer your gifts to me. But what I want you to do first, primarily, is to leave that at the altar, go make right with your brother or sister, and then come back. Jesus wants you to do everything you can to pursue peace. But then the natural question is this. Well, Dan, that's great. If I've wronged someone, I'm willing to admit my faults. I'm willing to... Uh, pursue peace and reconciliation in those situ situations, but what if someone else has wronged me? What if it's their fault? Glad you asked, because Jesus addresses this too in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, he says these words, so he's again reaping the, 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 the sowing of um, the beatitude. He says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. He goes on to say more, but he's basically saying, hey, whether you're the offender or the offended, I am calling you to pursue peace. Whether you have been sinned against or you have sinned against somebody else, I am calling you to pursue peace. Peace isn't a situational ethic depending on whether or not you are the offended or the offender. No, it's a kingdom reality. We are to be peacemakers. You're to pursue peace whatever side of the equation you're on. Now, will we always be successful? No. Even Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 says, hey, guess what? There will be a situation when your brother will not listen to you. Then you can address it a little bit differently. But the reality is we're to pursue peace. We're at least to initiate that offering of peace. And it may not always result in peace, but your responsibility is to offer peace as a citizen, uh, a kingdom citizen uh, in God's kingdom. And that's Jesus' promise for the peacemaker. He says, 
when that's your reality, when you live in that reality, when you are a peacemaker in your life, he says, you will be called sons of God. And he uses that word sons very intentionally. He means, hey, you will be inheritors. You will have all that God has. All that is his will be ours. You will be like a son of God. Another way to rephrase this beatitude is to say it like this. Because we belong to the family of God, we will be peacemakers. Because we belong to the family of God, because you are sons and daughters of God, you will, as a result, be peacemakers. And as we end, I want to give you one of the clearest pictures of what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. Um, it's a story that I've told before, but I think it's a really helpful picture of what it looks like to be a peacemaker in our world and the impact that it has uh, around the world. Uh, on Jan June 17th, 2015, you guys maybe remember um, about seven years back, this happened at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. There was a group of African-American uh, men and women who were gathered for prayer and Bible study in a small room, probably uh, not much bigger than this. Um, and in came uh, a man by the name of Dylan Ruth. He joined them for the entirety of the prayer and, and Bible study time. And at the end of that time, he pulled out a gun and opened fire on the room. All nine people died that day. At the court hearings, all the family members had an opportunity to go to the um, stand and address the murderer and confront him. And Nadine Collier, who uh, um, had a mother who died in that room that night, seven-year-old mother, Ethel Lance, she went up to the, 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 the mic and addressed Dylan Roof, the murderer of her mother. And she said these words. She said, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never, ever hold her again. But I forgive you. May God have mercy on your soul. That's what followers of Jesus are empowered to do. They can make peace in a situation where the world expects them to incite war. Nadine had a peace that this world knows nothing about, that he, she received from Christ. You want to know what happens when we become peacemakers in this world? Charles Cook, who was an editor of um, uh, an online journal called The National Review, said this in response that day. He said, I am a non-Christian, but I must say, this is a remarkable advertisement for Christianity. Seven Mile Road, in, in our culture that's divided, in our culture that is not able to uh, uh, reconcile and find peace, in our culture that's full of war and conflict, whether that's violent or not, we're given a peace that this, this world desperately longs for. Christ has made a way for us to have peace. He empowers us with that peace. He himself is our peace. And because Christ has made peace for us, we are then empowered to be peacemakers. And as we make peace, 
we make Jesus known. And the world who longs for that peace can finally know where to obtain that peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would come and show us this path to peace. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't know the first thing about making peace. In fact, we want what our hearts want. We want to maintain rule and reign over our kingdom and anyone that confronts us or anyone that poses a threat against our desire and our will for our own kingdom threatens our peace. Father, I pray that you would establish peace in our hearts first. That you would help us to see that your rule and reign is far greater and better than our rule and reign over this world. That your will is better than our will. And I pray that as we taste and see that your peace is far better and far greater, pray that we would extend that that we would be peacemakers in this world, that though there are people that sin against us or that we might sin against, that we would initiate peace. We would pursue peace. That we would be blessed to be peacemakers. Father, make, that, make us peacemakers. Make this church a church full of peacemakers that we might show this world a radical peace that they've never seen. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.